Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. I love the way that art communicates truth through beauty. Take, for instance, Vincent van Gogh. Van Gogh is a Dutch painter. He was raised in a Christian household, but early in life he walked away from his faith and embraced a life of depression and a life of self-destruction. But as he grew older, Van Gogh began to re-embrace his Christian faith. And in fact, art historians will say that he represented hope in his life, the truth of God's love through the color gold. As you, as you look at his paintings through his life, gold began to make a re-emergence and that, that gold was the color of hope and the truth of God's love. So you can probably see in your mind that, that painting, Starry Night, where, where there's a lot of gold stars and the swirling heavenly bodies. Uh, at the center of that painting, though, there's a church, and that church is completely dark. So Van Gogh didn't see hope in the church. He saw God's presence and God's love and creation. But as he continued to age and as he continued to mature, gold became more and more prominent in his paintings to the point that when he paints The Raising of Lazarus, that painting is literally a wash with gold. And if you look carefully, it is Van Gogh who has painted his, painted his own self-portrait as the person of Lazarus, and he saw God's hope everywhere, and that gold represented the idea, the truth, that life in God can start over again, a wash in gold. So what color is your canvas today? For some of you, your canvas may look very black, the darkness of depression and self-destructive behavior. For some of you, your canvas may look very beige. There's a lot of indifference in your life. For some of you, your canvas is green. You are envying what other people have and you don't. Your canvas may be a stark red with rage and anger. Truth through beauty. So I also see Scripture as a way of communicating truth through personality. Now, dominantly over Scripture, we have the personality of God as we, as we see Him, as we know Him. But there's all these personalities in Scripture that if we just pay attention to them, can reveal a lot of truth to us. For instance, Abraham, the father of faith, he also had a problem with lying. We see that all through his life. David, one of the greatest leaders in the Older Testament, he had a problem with a lot of things, money, sex, and power, that, that trinity of temptations. Peter, Peter was always shooting off his mouth. He had some self-control, some impulse issues. And Moses, if we look at his life, we can see truth through personality. Moses, of all people in the Bible, had an anger problem. And we're spending several weeks talking about anger, and I think we can't do this study properly without looking at Moses. By the way, one of the earliest scenes in his life is when he killed somebody. Now, remember how we've defined anger. Anger is the unfairness emotion. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. He knew his own Hebrew lineage. He stepped in. He killed the Egyptian taskmaster. That whole circumstance quickly escalated, got out of his control, and he ended up in exile. So really, the first two-thirds of Moses' life is 
mapped out because of his misuse of anger. And here's what I see, that Moses never completely conquered that emotion in his life. And we're going to see that today. So we're going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 20. If you stop and think about it, Numbers is an odd name for a book, isn't it? But that's exactly what the book is about. It's about numbers, that as the Israelites leave Egypt, and as the Israelites go into the promised land, on both sides of the desert, they take a census. They count up how many people were there. Now, in the U.S., we do a census every 10 years. These two sets of numbers were 40 years apart, okay? So we see the Israelites coming out and going in, and we see that God sustained them and even caused His people to thrive in a desert. I think I've told you before about the 1930 census. I looked up my family at that time, lived in Emmett County, Iowa, and one of the questions on the 1930 census was, do you have a radio set? And my great-grandfather, Chris Spoo, said, no. So really what God is doing through these two censuses, He's asking some questions like, when you were in the desert, were you ever without me? No. When you were in the desert, did you have food? Yes. When you were in the desert, did you even have water? Yes. And it's a picture of God's sustaining presence that God provides everything we need, even in difficult circumstances. Now here on the two sides of the desert as well, we have two events regarding water. One is in Exodus 17. The Israelites have come out of Egyptian captivity. They're now in the desert. They need water. Moses strikes the rock and water gushes forth. But now in Numbers 20, on the other side of the desert, on the eve of going into the promised land, they need water again. And this event that takes place shows that Moses had yet to fully conquer anger in his own life. And that injustice emotion would get away from him yet again. And by the way, it would cost him his reputation and it would cost him his reward. This is what anger costs us if we don't steward it and address it very intentionally. So this is Numbers chapter 20. Allow me to read this. So in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived in the desert of Zen and they stayed in Kadesh. There, Miriam, who is Moses' sister, wonderful artist, singer, co-leader with Moses. Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. So when I asked you what color is your canvas, I imagine Moses' canvas here looking like a Jackson Pollock painting, just being a whole smattering of all these different emotions. Moses was grieving. His sister had died. This was the sister that rescued him from the Nile River when he was a baby, that he had known his entire life, and Moses was grieving. I imagine Moses is fatigued here as well. For 40 years, he had been the leader of Israel. And for 40 years, he had dealt with all of these problems and had many times taken the blame that was not his to bear. I mean, the people say, there's no grain or figs or pomegranates. Well, if the Israelites had entered 
Israel 40 years earlier when they were supposed to, they would have grain and figs and pomegranates. And they're saying, Moses, you're the blame, but really it was because of what they did. I think mostly Moses is just also disappointed that the generation that died in the desert because of their disobedience, refusing to go into the land of Israel that God had commanded them to take, before they died, they managed to teach the next generation how to complain and argue. And maybe there was a sense of disappointment in Moses that things are never going to change. Here's kind of the one idea I want you to rest on today, that anger is the easiest emotion for a stressed out soul. When your soul is stressed out, either by grief or discouragement or disappointment, anger is always the easiest emotion to go to. Okay, and Moses is very vulnerable at this point to an outburst of rage and an outburst of anger. So what does Moses do with this? Oh, you know, I ought to give an illustration here. We all have bad days sometimes. Well, last week I was having a bad day. And I got an email from somebody. So um, just so you know, we do these little television spots on, on TV. And I did what I thought to be just a wonderful, emo uh, a wonderful illustration of peace. We live in a very angry time. And so the TV spot that I did was on um, the Sabbath. The Israelites don't believe in work on the Sabbath. Jews don't believe in work. Even so much they have a rule that if they carry a weapon, they're to put it down on the Sabbath. And I love that idea of taking a day off, giving your enemies a day off. And what I say in the TV spot is if you can give your enemies one day off, maybe you can give them two days off or three days off. Maybe you can give your enemies a lifetime off. So on this bad day, I got an email through our website that, that said this. I saw your commercial about not carrying a weapon. So if you wish to be a victim and meet Jesus sooner, then by all means advertise that you're a soft target. You're doing your church a disservice. Educate yourself, my brother in Christ. So I was having a bad day, then I got this email, and my anger shot up. And so I did what Jesus would do. I opened an email, and I said, you're an idiot. Love, Darren. No, I didn't do that. I've never seen an email exchange like that benefit everyone but, or anyone. So what I needed to do was step back from it because I was about to hit reply. But I go, well, you know what's really happening is I'm just stressed out today. I'm stressed out. What I'm discouraged with most is a person here has missed the point. I was not talking about self-defense, and that has a place. What I'm talking about is being a person of peace. So having the stress of the day, being misunderstood, that's what I was feeling, and it's just easy to go to anger as the primary emotion. It's easy to go there first rather than to think about all the other emotions that we're really feeling. Anger is the easiest emotion for a stressed out soul. So Moses starts off well, okay? I'm, I'm sure he's already feeling some anger here. So Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and they fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take your staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and I will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that their livestock can drink. Now Moses starts off in a very promising place. He takes his issue to God. 
This is a little lengthy, but I want to read something to you. It's uh, from a Chinese pastor who for 18 years was imprisoned in China because of his Christian faith. And because he was in the upper tier of society, he, by the prison soldiers, they took extra delight in humiliating him. Let me just read his accounts. Uh, My friends wondered what kind of work I did in the labor camp that kept me physically healthy. I answered them that life in the labor camp was very, very hard. And the authorities in camp put me to emptying the human waste cesspool. Most of the prisoners were afraid to approach the cesspool, but the authorities were aware of my background. I was well-educated, well-to-do family. And especially because they were atheists and they knew I was a Christian leader, they enjoyed putting me to work in the human waste cesspool. But they did not know in those years how much I enjoyed the work there. This cesspool was more than two, liters, uh, two meters in breadth and two meters in length. It was filled with human waste collected from the entire camp. Once it was full, the human waste was kept until it was ripe and then dug out and sent to the field as fertilizer. But because the pit was so deep, I could not reach the bottom to empty it. So I had to walk into the disease-ridden mass and scoop out successive layers of human waste, all the time breathing the strong stench. The guards and all the prisoners kept a long way off because of the stench, so that's why I enjoyed working in the cesspool. I enjoyed the solitude. In the labor camp, all the prisoners normally were under strict surveillance and no one could be alone, but when I worked in the cesspool, I could be alone. I could pray to our Lord as loudly as I wanted to. I could recite the scriptures, including all the psalms I still remembered. And I enjoyed working in the cesspool. I could even sing the hymns that I loved most. My favorite hymn in those days was, I come to the garden alone. Can you imagine singing that while you're in a sludgy cesspool? I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Being in the presence of God transforms cesspools into gardens. And for Moses, this issue of all the problems he was dealing with, the issue was transformed into intimacy with God. So he starts out so well. If you got a problem, take it to the Lord. Go to the Lord in prayer. But that's where things begin to unravel. So Moses comes out from spending time in the presence of God. Here's what it says as we continue in Numbers chapter 20. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he was commanded. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I will give them. So these were the waters at Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he was proven holy among them. So how do you, how do you go from being in the presence of God flying into a rage. And by the way, our patron saint of Oklahoma, Will Rogers, says, 
Those who fly into a rage never make a good landing. So, so how do you go from being in the presence of God to flying into a rage? I think for Moses, being in the presence of God was the last straw. Again, his canvas was already colored with grief and disappointment and discouragement and the weight of leadership. And he goes into the presence of God and God says, I will give them water. I imagine Moses was angry about that. God, you should not give them water. You should give them fire. And because God was too gracious, Moses got angry. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower had a prodigious ability to rage. And his staff and his uh, cabinet knew that whenever he showed up to the Oval Office in a brown suit, it was going to be a bad day. And so one of the aides, when they saw him coming and they saw he was wearing the brown suit, they would announce it to the rest of the staff, brown suit, and they knew he was in a bad mood. It seemed that Moses came out of the temple in a brown suit and he was ready to rage. Now, what is it that Moses does here that is so wrong? And in fact, the word I'm going to use instead of rage, and we'll talk about why here in just a minute, we're going to use the word rash, that Moses acted rashly, okay? And there's a purpose for that here in just a moment that you'll see. But what is it that he did that was so wrong? Was it that he just didn't follow the instructions? You know, that, that there was a little, you know, point here that, he was to speak to the rock, but instead he hit the rock. In other words, he was trusting on tradition, the way he had done things before. You know, God, this is the way we get water around here. We, we tap the rock instead of talking to it. Was it because he was relying on tradition and the way he had done it before rather than trusting on God? Maybe. But I don't know that, that the punishment and the crime fit one another, if that's the case. Was it that Moses was trying to take credit for something that only God can do. Notice he says here, must we bring water out of the rock? And that's a, a deadly pronoun when you start to associate yourself too closely to God. Was it that Moses was a celebrity among the people and maybe he was starting to listen to his own press a little bit too much? By the way, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has some great things to say about celebrity in the Christian culture. He said, anytime we develop Christian celebrities, it is toxic, no matter how good that celebrity is. So those are the things I've heard over time. The reason that uh, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because maybe he was trusting tradition more than God or maybe he was trying to take credit for something God was doing, and, and that might be right. But as I've explored this text yet again, I see Moses acting rashly. And let's just go through this step by step. God says, okay, Moses, I want you to do three things. First of all, I want you to take your staff. Now, that staff represents the authority of God. With the staff, Moses had struck the Nile, and it turned to blood. With that staff, he had struck the Red Sea, and it had parted. With that staff, he had struck the rock, and the rock gave water back in Exodus 17. So it represented the authority of God. So he was to take that staff with him, Next, he was to gather the people because the people in Numbers 20 had not been there in Exodus 17. He said, get together. I want everyone to see what is happening here. And then the next thing I want you to do is I want you to speak to the rock. But what did Moses do? Instead of speaking to the rock, Moses spoke to the people. He wasn't to speak to the people. 
he was to speak to the rock. By the way, what, is, what does one say to a rock when you want water to come out? Hey, Rocky. I don't know. Anyway, what, what do you say to the rock? But he was to speak to the rock, but instead he spoke to the people. So here's where I want to do a quick cross-reference. I'm regretting my Rocky impersonation there in just a minute, or Paulie uh, from the movie Rocky. If you go to Psalm 106, verse 32 and 33, it says this, By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came on Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. His anger, which is the easy emotion to go to when your soul is stressed, led him to act and to speak rashly. Okay. So, I think there's two parts to this. Moses' rash words and rash actions. First of all, he spoke to the people on behalf of God when God did not want him to speak to the people. Man, we need to really be careful about ever volunteering to speak for God because what the people needed at that moment was refreshment, but instead of refreshment, Moses gave them rebuke. Well, God, if you're not going to talk to the people, I will. And I think we need to be very careful and I know we live, many of us, in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, and we hear all the time, well, God told me, you know, or God said, I think we ought to be very careful with that. Because if we're wrong, we are misrepresenting the Lord Himself. If it's just our own impulse or our own ideas that we are following, I think that's a very dangerous place to live. Listen, if you feel like God has prompted you to do something or say something, just say it, but don't invoke his name. Now, on the back side, if you see that God was at work, then you can go, hey, I listened to the voice of God. Good for me. But to make a pronouncement that the Lord told me to do this is often just Christian manipulation. So here, Moses speaks for God. The people needed refreshment, but instead he just gave them rebuke. And then, and here's where... These are, these are just my thoughts here. I'm not saying you have to agree with this, but I think we ought to think about this. Moses hits the rock. Why does he hit the rock? I think he's hitting the rock out of deliberate disobedience, that he hits the rock. See, no water. He knew he was supposed to speak to the rock, but he hits the rock intentionally so that water will not flow. And then somebody says, hit it again. Okay, bang. See, no water. I guess you don't deserve it. But then there was a bubble, and there was a trickle, and then there was a geyser. And Moses, because he had spoken and acted rashly, the people needed refreshment, but he just gave them rebuke. He shouldn't have been speaking for God. Moses said, God, you're not going to give them what they deserve, so I'm going to give them what they deserve. Also, the whole idea of, of hitting the rock was, they don't deserve water. God, I'm going to make sure they don't get water. Make sure I, I'm not going to give them what they don't deserve. And Moses speaks and acts rashly in this event. And because of that, he loses his reputation. He loses his reward. So we all get to a place there are a lot of other emotions happening, and anger is always the easy go-to emotion when our souls are stressed. 
What do we need to do to make sure that we don't act rashly? And let's take some principles here from Moses' life, okay? First of all, when you're tempted to act rashly, just stop and reflect. Reflect for just a minute. Like when I receive that email, okay, what am I really feeling at this moment? Anger is the, the easy emotion when I'm stressed. What am I really feeling? And maybe just you're sad or frustrated or disappointed, whatever. But just reflect for a moment and saying, instead of going to the easy emotion of anger, let me think about what I'm really feeling at this moment. And then take that to the Lord. Second, I think we need to respect the authority of God. That it's not our job to give other people what we think they deserve. It's not our job to not give people what we think they don't deserve. And think about this, that, that sometimes we just give people a good tongue lashing. By the way, a tiger's tongue is so coarse that it can lick the meat off of its prey down to the bone. Our tongues sometimes can be pretty coarse, and we can destroy a lot of people with our words. We also need to be careful of of trying to withhold what we think people don't deserve. I wonder so many times the reasons we don't share the good news of the gospel is that we think they don't deserve it yet. They need to straighten up their lives a little bit, and then I'll talk to them about Jesus. You know what? It's our job just to, to share the good news and let God work on people. It's not our job to set the world straight. God's the authority over that. Third thing I would say is practice silence. You know, I've regretted so many things I've said over the years, but I have very few regrets about the times that I just shut my mouth. And when I'm tempted to act rashly, it's time for me to practice the discipline of silence. In fact, the verse I'm going to point our folks to this week <clears throat> that really is worth memorizing is James 1.19. It says we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. When I'm tempted to act rashly, it's time for me to sit there quietly. And then finally, I am to honor God in every situation, even if I don't feel like it in that moment. And our anger rarely honors God. Mimi Reinhardt is a name you probably don't know, but she just died about two weeks ago. She died at 107. Get that. That's a long life. But she was the secretary who typed Schindler's List. You might remember the story of Schindler who saw what the Nazis were doing, and at first he was complicit, but then he tried to save as many Jews from the Holocaust as he could, and he saved about 1,200 people. If he could get their name on his list, he could take them to Czechoslovakia where they would be safe. And Mimi Reinhardt was the one who typed the names that went on that list. Now, it was uncertain at the time whether Schindler was a good guy or a bad guy. Here's what she said as she typed those names. It was a gamble, she said. Maybe he was just taking us to a different camp. Who knew? But we took a chance only because we believed in Schindler. They took a chance because they believed in Schindler. Maybe we need to take a chance if we really believe in God to not act rashly. By the way, these little ideas that I've given you, these four ideas, it's a little acrostic for rash. We need to stop and reflect. We need to remember that God is the authority. 
Maybe we need to just be still and be silent for a while, and we just need to honor God. We trust Him enough to address what's happening in the world, and He doesn't, isn't going to use my anger to accomplish that. So what color is your canvas today? Is it black? Is it green? Is it red with rage? We believe in the truth of God that gives us hope, that paints our life gold with the truth of His love. And basically, when we give our lives to Christ, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm putting my name on His list. My name, my life belongs to Him. And I'm doing that because I trust Him. And it's when we trust in Christ that our canvas begins to be that color of hope and the truth of God's love for us. Father, I pray in an increasingly angry world where all the canvases look to be red, that we would take on a different hue, that we would take on a different complexion of gold, of hope, of relying on the truth of God because we trust Jesus. So, Father, continue to work on us. Anger is a lifelong problem for many of us, as it was for Moses. We don't want to lose our reputation or our reward. So, would you keep us from speaking and acting rashly? Would we stop and reflect? Would we know you're the authority? Would we just be silent for a while? Would we honor you in every way that we live? That's hard, but help us to be different because our name, our lives belong to Jesus. And through us, would you help us to begin to paint the world in different colors? It's in the name of Jesus that we offer our prayer. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.